The Daily Tap is live for Wednesday. We're going to talk about why the Brewers need pitching over hitting when it comes to the trade deadline as we are four weeks away from it. We'll also talk a little bit about Brewers-Cubs last night. I was there. Uh, the Brewers put on a pathetic display of defense um, and why it's a slight concern for me. We'll also talk about what the Bucks might be up to. They made some slight moves yesterday. Could we see a trade coming today? Also, we'll talk about some Packer headlines that popped up, and that will be today's show. No Chuck's Corner, no tap list for you. I apologize. I know that's more of the laid-back approach uh, to today's show, but when we talk about the Miller Park stuff, I think that's Chuck's Corner-esque for you. So I hope hope that that wets her whistle, um, if you will, um, and we move forward. And we'll have uh, Tab in the Keg tomorrow. Mitch and I back for 467 there, and then we'll have a Friday show, and we'll be good to go. Before we get going, just a reminder, we're on social, tapping the keg on Twitter, tapping the keg sports on Instagram, as well as TikTok, Facebook too, uh, for the olds out there. Uh, rate, review, subscribe. Uh, please do that, whether at Spotify or Apple. Uh, we would really appreciate that. We're on other podcast platforms. So if it's Overcast, if it's Stitcher, wherever really you get your pods, we are there. If we're not there and you're using a podcast, um, you know, system just let me know um we can certainly work on that to get that up and make sure you're telling your friends about us i had an interesting situation i won't go too long in this but i was talking to a guy from denver at the brewery game yesterday and we were chopping it up he was a pretty big sports fan um and i really want to be like hey here's my podcast but I, I honestly feel like you can't do that and maybe this is another story for another time or later in the show and we can get into more detail because you guys are like get get on with the show but it's like I can't just hand this guy a card and be like, hey, if you're interested, listen to the podcast. Maybe I need to do that, and maybe this is the more case for business cards, but I don't know if it would be weird to give somebody a QR code at a baseball game. I'm unsure. I kind of need a hype man because I feel like if one of my buddies was there, like if I was talking with this guy and my, you know, Murph was there, Mitch was there, um, any of my other guys who, who are big fans of the podcast – like, hey, you know, this guy's a podcast. Like, it's really good and things like that. I think they would have helped me out there. But it was my dad. And while he's proud of my podcast, I don't think he exactly understands podcasts. Um, he's wanted to listen and I've meaning to set him up and I just haven't done it because I think I, he'd get mad at me for how much I swear. But that's here nor there. Uh, so anyways, um, we need to work on that. But I appreciate all the love and support. And if you have any ways for me to promote my podcast while having random con- conversations with strangers of people I think that would enjoy it, you let me know. All right, let's move on to the Milwaukee Brewers. The trade deadline is on August the 2nd. You might be like, Charlie, it's usually July 31st. Why is it not July 31st? It's because it's on a weekend. I didn't realize that they didn't do the deadline on the weekend. That is a fun fact that now we all know. So it is August the 2nd, which is a Monday, and decisions will be made for teams, whether they are blowing it up, whether they are advancing their roster in a small scale way, or if they're pushing their chips all in. There is a misconception and probably a podcast topic for another day that the Brewers never go all in, that they make little moves, but they never make the major moves, that they're never the biggest player in the game. I will caution to the wind that the Brewers have the 26th farm system in baseball, according to Ken Law. Keith Law, excuse me. Uh, They do not necessarily have a great farm system. They haven't had a good farm system since the days of Prince Fielder, Ricky Weeks, Corey Hart. It hasn't been that way in a long time. The Brewers' development has been a little bit subpar, honestly. 
and and I don't know who really there is to point the finger at. I will say that this Brewers farm system is looking better than I think it ever has. Jackson Trio is a potential superstar uh, in the Carolina League at age 18. You have Sal Freilich, who's pretty talented. Joey Widmer, who's being compared to Corey Hart, um, which if you're being compared to Corey Hart, I immediately love you. Uh, Garrett Mitchell has struggled, but Garrett Mitchell's another guy who I think is still a talented player. Joe Gray is another example of that, of a guy struggling, but still playing good ball. And the Brewers have pitching like Ethan Small and a few others where there are options for teams to potentially pick from. But the Brewers don't necessarily have what they need to maybe back up the Brinks truck for a guy like Frankie Montes. Not saying they need to, um, but... They, they probably don't have enough to get a guy like Montes. I'd be very surprised unless the A's are hell-bent on having no fans at their stadium, nothing to sell the future on, and they're basically reverting to a team that that is no that is completely give it up, right? And that looks maybe like what the Rockies did with the Arenado trade. If you can steal Montes with not giving up a ton, then maybe, yeah, it's, it's potential. It's on the table. But I hope that's not the case for the sake of A's fans. And for the Brewers, it would feel a little bit wrong in a weird way, wouldn't it? Right? And the rich would definitely get richer. I realize that made me sound like kind of a pussy for being like, oh, I feel bad for the A's. Like, fuck it. If we can get them, great. But I'm not expecting that. And I don't think Brewer fans should. I think you should expect the Brewers to make small moves. And the small moves should be with the starting pitching and not necessarily the offense. I think there is a misconception from the casual fan that the Brewers need help offensively. I push back on that pretty strongly. I realize the Brewers might be in one of their ruts right now. Um, They only scored two runs on Sunday. They scored two runs pretty much for the entire game on Monday, and then a Victor Carantini three-run homer to walk it off on Monday night. You know, got it done, and then they scored again three runs, but one was I, I would consider like a garbage time run in the ninth inning. So there wasn't necessarily a lot from the Brewers, but at the same token, they gave up eight runs yet again to an, a mediocre team. The Pittsburgh Pirates had eight runs on Thursday night. I think they had eight again on Saturday. I can't remember the final on that one. It may have been seven. I think it may have been seven. But regardless, no, nine, nine, whatever. It doesn't matter. The Brewers have given up, you know, five or more runs to mediocre teams now three times. Their last three losses, they've gotten blown out. It hasn't been a 4-3 loss or a 2-1 loss. It's been the Brewers getting blown out because they don't have that good of pitching. And they do have offense that can keep up. Now, they didn't keep up last night, but they have offense that can keep up. So I think when you look at who the Brewers should trade for, I really do think it should be starting pitching. And Dave Schoenfield of ESPN agrees with me. Schoenfield wrote a column yesterday basically giving a move for every team, saying if you're going to trade someone away, you're going to trade for somebody, who would that player be? Schoenfield suggested Michael Pineda from the Detroit Tigers. Pineda is on a one-year deal for $5.5 million. He comes very cheap for the Tigers. I have no problem adding Pineda. I think the Brewers need that insurance of a guy who could be a reliable third starter. Right now, I don't think Eric Lauer is that reliable third starter. I realize he pitched well on Monday, but I need to see more of it before I'm like, all right, June was just a blip on the radar for Lauer, and he actually has you know, the potential to be that third guy. 
but I don't want to take that chance. I think it's really you know easy for the Brewers to get a, a starting pitcher that might be cheap and that could eat up some innings. And if worst case, you're using Pineda as sort of this long relief guy in the bullpen come October, which you definitely need because if things go off the rails, if an inning, if the first couple innings start bad and you're like, all right, we're bailing on the starting pitching, pitching and we throw out Pineda who could work, you know, anywhere from one to six innings. Like that's great. Like that, that could be really beneficial for the Brewers and can save the bullpen. And that to me is definitely needed. You don't know if Freddie Peralta is coming back. You can't just assume that Freddie Peralta, A, is going to come back from his injury. Now I know he threw off the mound, I think in Arizona um, last week. So that's that's encouraging, right? That's a good sign. You like to see that. But again, there's no guarantee that Freddie Peralta is back for September. There's no guarantee that Freddie Peralta is able to pitch five or six innings, um, you know, coming out of coming out of the gate after a shoulder injury, and then that means that they might not have a legitimate, reliable third starter. Now, if Eric Lauer comes back and June just is again an anomaly, yeah, that definitely opens it up. But again, I don't want to put that to chance. I would rather not chance that. I would rather look at it and say, all right. We need starting pitching, and Pineda, to me, is a great choice. Another guy that Schoenfield mentioned for the Cardinals, actually, was Taylor Tyler Molly. I want to say Taylor. It sounds like a Taylor, but it's Tyler Molly from the Cincinnati Reds. Now, Molly has been a decent pitcher. He was really good last year. He's not been as good this year. Um, Molly's big problem is against left-handers. They do hit him hard. Um, that can be a problem at American Family Field, where it's easy for balls to get out. The nice thing about Molly is you have an extra year of control. So the Brewers could go into next season saying, all right, we could either re-sign Adrian Hauser, who I believe is a free agent next year. We could bring in Molly and he's our fourth starter going forward. You know, you kind of have that insurance if maybe Peralta's shoulder just isn't right to start the year, for example, or something like that. Or if Aaron Ashby and Ethan Small do not develop in the way that you want or a potential to flip you know, Molly or flip one of those other guys for maybe a little bit better offensive talent or, you know, include them in the potential hater deal, which I do think will happen at in the offseason, which we certainly can talk about, you know, as we go on or when we have sort of a, shall we say, light day um, in the podcast world. But I do think the Brewers should look at a starting pitcher. I think that there have been more than enough signs that the guys that they have right now are not doing enough. The Brewers are not going to be able to survive with just Woodruff and Burns carrying the team. Now you might say, well, Woodruff Burns plus one guy in the in the rotation, you know, has a good start and you'll be okay. You'd win three out of five times and you're probably gonna be okay. I would tend to agree with that, but to me, that's just a, a warning sign for the future. That keeps your head above water, but that's just basically asking for trouble later in the year. And we're going to talk about the defense here in a second as my fear for them, you know, come October. But I think we've always, we've seen this now with the Bucks a little bit. We saw this with the Packers, certainly. And we saw this with the Brewers last year where we identify a problem and we're like, oh, it'll be all right. And we kick the can on it. And we're like, oh, special teams, it's fine. The fact the Bucks, you know, really don't have a ton, ton, ton of bench scoring, it's fine, it's fine. Or the lackadaisical sort of play that the Bucks had throughout the year. It's fine. It's it's going to be okay. We'll figure it out. 
and the can keeps getting kicked, and then you realize, you know, come playoff time, oh shit, we needed to fix this stuff. This needed to be fixed, or this is a flaw of a team, and it's not going to be fixed, and we have to hold on for dear life. You do need that third starter come playoff time because you need to win and win three games. You can't just go by Woodruff and Burns and hope you hope you get it done. You could say the argument against it or the argument for offense is the fact that Woodruff and Burns can pitch game one and two. If they win one of two of those, then in game three, you have to you know hope that everything works out. And then in game four, then you have the potential or the opportunity to you know capitalize with Woodruff and Burns yet again. But the Brewers have been very sensitive about not pitching these guys on three days of rest or four days rest. It's been very rare from the Brewers organization. So I'll be curious to see exactly what the Brewers do from a playoff perspective if they don't make any changes. For those who say you want hitting, I think some of the big names or the biggest names are probably Josh Bell and Andrew Benintendi. Um, those two have circulated quite a bit. Benintendi is a great right fielder. He's a gold glove right fielder. I don't know if he can play center field still. I mean, that to me would be an obvious choice for the Brewers to get a center fielder who could play some defense, who makes a lot of contact, a guy you could put at the top of your order to sort of, you know, make sure you get on base, has some Yelch qualities, I would say, to him. Um, so it, it may be a little too similar in that regard. But you'd have a guy who could definitely contribute in the outfield. And then you have a lineup of Benintendi, Renfro, and and Christian Yelich. And that, that is an upgrade. Then there's Josh Bell. And Josh Bell is another name that has been mentioned. Josh Bell could essentially be your DH. And then you really just ride with McCutcheon, Yelich, and Renfro as your outfield. And rotate in Tyrone Taylor and Jace Peterson as you see fit. But I do wonder, as the Brewers' offense has been better than a lot of people give it credit for, will the Brewers look at their offense and think that they're okay? I do wonder if it's a regular season offense. I think that is a fair argument to make because I look at this offense right now and I'm like, I, I just look through the lens of David Stearns, the Brewers' front office, everything else, and I say, all right, like Jace Peterson right now has a 1.9 war. He has the highest wins above replacement of any batter. That's crazy, right? Because it's Jace Peterson. We all sort of like, ah, Jace. It's like, yeah, Jace is a good regular season player, but can you ever trust Jace to come up with a clutch hit in the postseason? I don't know. I don't know if he's that guy. And, and, and I know you don't expect him to be that guy, but what would be better, having Jace Peterson or having Benintendi or Josh Bell in that spot, right? Wouldn't it be the, wouldn't it be the latter? Having a guy hitting fifth behind Rowdy Telez, or no, I'm sorry, not Rowdy, uh, Andrew McCutcheon being a guy like Bell or Benintendi instead of Colton Wong. While Colton Wong is productive, he's not exactly your prototypical fifth hitter. You can make the argument that the Brewers might need a little bit help offensively, but I just don't know who is that guy to replace. Does Tyrone Taylor get involved in a trade? Because you look at it, and I don't think Tyrone Taylor would. I think Keston Hero would. I really do. Like, are you okay with that? I guess that would be my question for those who want offense. Are you okay trading Keston Hero? Because to me, that's how you solve this problem. There is a glut right now of Brewer offense. And I saw uh, Alicia Twersky, who's a good follow. Uh, he does a lot of uh, gambling stuff. But he's also a Brewers, Bucks, Packer fan. 
And Alicia was like saying how the Brewers really need to play Keston Hero more. Um, and I was going back and forth with him, like, because Keston Hero is a great OPS against right handers and he just has not necessarily gotten that shot. And I think the problem is, is like, where do you put him? You DH him and then you have McCutcheon play center field. Are you able to do that? I think you really don't know if McCutcheon can play center field as much as well as he used to. Or maybe he's told the Brewers, like, hey, yeah. Uh, I can do it occasionally, but I'm not a center fielder anymore. I'm not quick enough to do what I used to do in center field, which is totally fair. He's an older guy. That makes a lot of sense. But that's the only way Hira can get on the field right now. You add in Tyrone Taylor. You add in Hunter Renfro. How does Hira get on the field? Is Hira the odd man out? I actually think it's Mike Brousseau, personally. Um, he would probably be that guy or... They, well, right now, I think it would be Pedro Severino. I think right now the Brewers, I would be surprised if Severino plays tonight today uh, with Corbin Burns, and Severino is the guy that they try to flip for something, um, whether it's a middle reliever or maybe even a low-level starter and you include some prospects in there because I do think Severino will be the odd guy out once Taylor and Renfro are both back. And Renfro is supposed to be back... Sunday, I think, and they'll probably decide whether we want to take him on the road trip. And then with Taylor, it'll be, I think he got the concussion on the second. So he's on a seven day. So that will be the ninth. So next Friday, we'll see, or Saturday, excuse me. We'll see if Taylor is able to come back. And, you know, concussions can be a weird thing. But yeah, the Brewers suddenly, after losing Lorenzo Cain, don't have any outfield depth. And that's an issue. But to bring it back to trades, we will see what the Brewers do. Uh, the Brewers have a month ago. They usually are pretty unconventional. They made moves like Roddy Telez, like Willie Adamas, like Eduardo Escobar. Um, you know, two out of those three really worked. Eduardo had some moments, but to me, he never really fit in with what the Brewers were trying to do. Now, Eduardo's had a great year with the crew, or a great year with the Mets. Um, so it's been a little bit, maybe some buyer's remorse for the Brewers that they didn't bring Escobar back. But then again, you have Urias and you don't want to stunt his development. So the Brewers have to decide, you know, what what is their most important goal here? And if their most important goal is getting to the World Series, you're going to have to make some sacrifices. And we'll see if the Brewers do that, and we'll see if that's what happens uh, going forward here in the next month. I went a little long there. I also tangent on the offense. But really quick on Brewers-Cubs yesterday. I know we're going to have Brewers-Cubs again this afternoon. It was a bizarre game, um, just kind of a bizarre crowd in general. Uh, just had some people who, I don't know, it looked kind of like State Fair on a fucking Tuesday, honestly, if we're, if we're being honest. And then the ushers, my dad and I had terrorist reserve tickets. Uh, the reason why is he has season tickets, and they're in the club's, club section. And I guess if you do not turn your tickets in 48 hours in advance... You do last minute and you're like, I don't want to be here. Um, you have you get the terrorist reserve no matter what. My dad, not a big terrorist reserve guy, was like, out of principle, we're not going to sit in the terrorist reserve. We're just going to sneak down, get a seat. I was like, okay, cool. And I've done that before. I think we all have, right? Well, the Brewers ushers were similar to the Gestapo, um, trying to stop everybody and anyone. Whether that was because there were fights on July 4th, whether that was it was Cubs week and they had to act like they cared. Um, but it was kind of outrageous. Like they were just checking people at all times. And because it wasn't a sellout by any means, I think it was 30,000 um, in the stadium or 30.8, something like that. There was definitely some open seats. 
So they easily could have let people down there and just enjoy baseball. I understand first three innings, I get it, right? You don't want people in seats they're not supposed to be in. But innings three through seven, we're really, we're still checking tickets. We're still making sure that people who are down here actually belong. It was pretty ridiculous. Finally, we were able to get a seat, I think in like the sixth inning, seventh inning, um, and watch the Brewers from, I think like section 125, 27, 28, um, and just sat down and enjoyed enjoyed the rest of the game despite being a blowout. But we were, we the mission was accomplished. By then, uh, the guards had been a little, le- little more relenting, little less relenting. Excuse me, but yeah, it, it was weird. Uh, it was something I haven't seen. I'll be curious um, next brewery game I go to if the ushers will be that demanding. I think maybe going to Brewers Rockies in on the twenty fourth. Um, so we'll see if they are that sort of demanding um, and that sort of like, hey, we gotta check everybody's tickets. I gotta make sure people are where they're supposed to be, or if it's going to be much more relaxed. We'll, we'll, I'll let you know. I'll definitely report back and let me know too. Hit me up on social if you're at the games this weekend. If you're like, yeah, they were intense about it or if they're just kind of like, yeah, we don't give a shit because usually it's the latter. Um, so that was really surprising. Um, like I said, some some weird people there. The storms were nuts outside. Um, was definitely uh, quite the weather, weather show. Um, speaks to having a roof, right? The Brewers didn't have a roof. I don't know if they're playing on Friday, on Monday. I think Monday is a rainout. I think Tuesday would have also been a rainout uh, for the Brewers. It, it was it was kind of a nuts weather day, and it speaks to why having a roof, even in the summertime, is important. Also, pro tip for those with the roof closes and it's hot outside, like it was yesterday, because it was steamy in there. Get down. Like even if you don't have seats in the first level. Like just get down there. It's much cooler. Um, they have places you can stand and watch the game. You know, underneath the awning, it's not terrible. Um, so that's what, that would be my recommendation if you do have to deal with that and have have that sort of you know basically issue um, in the next in the next time that rain comes through and you're at the brewery game. But yeah, all in all, it was a lot of fun. Spend some time with my dad and just hang out. And I would recommend doing the same. With your father, if he's around the area, um, it's just good to get out and do baseball. And it's I I think that nothing do some dads love more than baseball. I I know my dad is a huge baseball guy, and so it's always fun to chop it up and watch the game with him, and you know steal some beers off his tab, which is always nice. Um, and he definitely hooked it up for me as well. All right, let's move on to the oh I didn't even talk about. Real quick on the game, I realized I talked more about like the Miller Park. I told you there was going to be some Chuck's Corner ask about what what was witnessed at AmFam and the stories about the usher. So I got that done. Uh, I did want to mention the defense. I do worry just quickly that the defense is the Brewers' problem for the year. That the defense is going to be the thing come October that we're like, holy shit, this hasn't been fixed. And this is a real issue. Uh, Colton Wong just seems to be a shell of himself at second base. It seems like Colton Wong can't necessarily get comfortable there. I don't know if it just he needs to play more and you need to have him out there. And once he's out there, he kind of is going to just do more. Willie Adamas seemed rushed yesterday. So did Urias. Um, I don't know if that's just the Cubs have a lot of speed and they were worried about it. And they knew maybe that's what the scouting report said. Or if they were just not taking their time. 
And I think the Brewers, you know, have to work with those guys and say, look, mostly Urias and, uh, and Adamas, who both had errors in this game, that, hey, just take your time. If we don't get the out and the guy's on first base, that's fine. Just do your part. Do your job. Don't rush. Just be composed and really make sure that you're getting the guy out. Adamas, I had a feeling he was going to sail the one he did. It just looked like came out of his hand. And I was like, oh my God, put way too much on it. And they just need to be a little bit better in the infield. And the Brewers were built on defense. And right now, it has not been a strong suit for the Brewers. And I do worry that that is the problem for this team going forward. And that will be the problem. Just like special teams were the issue for the Brewers, or Packers, excuse me, uh, last season. Just like the Bucks sort of, you know, lackadaisical, you know, sleepy quarters were their, their issue all year. And it never, it never really was fixed. It was rare that the Bucks played these like clean games where they were just attentive for the entire, you know, entire four periods. It just wasn't there for the Bucks. So I do worry that this is the Brewers thing this year. I hope I'm wrong. I hope that it's just a blip in the radar um, and that they're able to clean up their defense as they get guys back, whether it's Renfro. Uh, but the infield's back. Like the infield has guys, so I don't know. Maybe we'll see. We'll definitely see what happens um, when it comes to the Brewers infield. Moving on to the Milwaukee Bucks. The Milwaukee Bucks are up to something. We don't know exactly what the Bucks are up to, but the Bucks have something in the works. Uh, they released Luca Valdoza. They also released Rajon Tucker. Now they could bring both those guys back, but they're clearing some roster space. The Bucks now have two roster spots potentially available for these guys. What could the Bucks potentially be up to? And that is the question that everybody asked. You could go into your best windy voice and go, why is that? Well, the Bucks do have a trade exception that runs out today. Shout out to Brian, who was crunching the numbers for me on Twitter. Um, and the the Bucks have a 1.5 million trade, actually 1.6 trade exception from Sam Merrill's contract. So they could essentially use that and package that with guys like George Hill, Grayson Allen, uh, Jordan Nora, and potentially get somebody you know from a team. Now, Nora Hill, the trade exception, would get you to about $8 million. We know that the Hill-Allen combination gets you to about 12-ish. You add Nora, you add the trade exception, you're up to 16. You could get kind of creative with it if need be and move yourself up to like 18 if, if, if possible. So what are the Bucks potentially doing? Now, also as pointed out by Jake Reitz, they have not announced the financials for the Marjan Bochamp contract. Is Marjan not signed? Is there something that we need to know about that? You just saw one of the Marjan's, you know, fellow t- tw- guys who were drafted in the 20s get t- get sent off to Utah and Walker Kessler from Minnesota. It, will Marjan be included? I don't think so. Not the way the Bucks talked about him. The entrance, like t- to trade him after doing all the things they did, would be really fucking weird. No, honestly. Like, I know I'm someone who's more of an org guy than I am a player guy. I just think that would be bizarre if they would do that. So I don't really think Bochamp's going to be involved. But if the Bucks are making a move with Allen and Hill and then some other filler, we'll see. I mean, the names that have been thrown around in the Bucks Twitter world have been Harrison Barnes, Kyle Kuzma, 
Jordan Clarkson. Another name that's been mentioned, maybe not as much, but Joe Harris is certainly a name that could be on the table. Um, I think Harris, to me, is a little more interesting if we if we think about it, if we take a step back. So you look at the Nets, right? The Nets added TJ Warren um, just this last couple days. Uh, the Nets obviously need to make sure that they have maybe potential assets that they could use in deals if they were to trade Kevin Durant or Kyrie Irving. And maybe a guy like Hill or a guy like Allen would be the precipice for something and would be sort of the start of, of there. It also added Royce O'Neal. I should, should mention that too. So they have kind of a glut at wings. So could Joe Harris be the guy that the Bucs are looking to acquire? Now, I'd argue too that Joe Harris and Joe Ingles, what's the difference? Is it a Spider-Man meme? Is one American, one Australian? Both white guys, both guys that can shoot the fucking lights out. But do the Bucs just add even more shooting and try to basically drown everybody out? I don't think I would be opposed to that. But I look at a guy like Harrison Barnes and I really do see a lot of potential for Harrison Barnes and what he could bring to the box. And just the defense, the three-point shooting, the ability, the leadership, the guy who's been there before understands you know, playoff intensity. I think Harris, going back to him really quick, like Harris, remember, was terrible in that Bucks nets series and was really a big reason, an underrated reason, why the Nets lost that series. Do we really want another guy who can't come up big in the playoffs? Harrison Barnes has definitely shown that. My wonder with Harrison Barnes is, will the Kings actually move him? I think the Kings want to make the playoffs. Like I think the Kings are hell-bent on making the playoffs this year. I really do, because they haven't made it for 16 years. That's an eternity for basketball. In baseball, I think the Mariners haven't been there since 2001. Well, fucking nuts. I think baseball is a lot harder to get into than basketball. So the fact the Kings haven't been in there, there is a desperation. Will Grayson Allen and George Hill be enough for the Kings to look at it and say, all right, yeah, we'll move on from Harrison Barnes. I don't know. I, it's hard It's hard to say. They did have Kevin Herter, who to me would be Barnes' sort of, he'd be the starter. I actually didn't know they added Kevin Herter. I missed that one. That's the only like transaction I actually missed. I didn't know they added Herter, uh, which is a nice, move, a nice move by them. I think the Kings have a nice team. I don't think they have like a bad roster at this point. But I don't also think if you got rid of Barnes, you're completely costing yourself a playoff spot. I think you're helping the Bucs. But you get Grayson Allen back, who I think Grayson Allen's a pretty productive player. He just did not work out for the Bucs come postseason. And if the Bucs believe that Grayson can be that guy come postseason, great. Um, that would be lovely. Um, and that would be more of a lesser trade, which I don't have those guys readily available. Um, that's cool. But if it's not, and it's a it's a Barnes deal, I think I'd rather have Barnes than Grayson Allen. Jordan Clarkson, I am not excited about at all. Um, I would not be, I guess I would be fine. I, you know, they deal it. It's it's their choice. Um, but if I were doing like a content thing on Instagram or TikTok, it would definitely be a little more sour. Just because I'd worry that Jordan Clarkson would have those moments where he looks up and he's like, you know what? It's Jordan Clarkson time. And the guy is just a complete ball hog. And the guy doesn't necessarily, you know, do the things you need him to do as a point guard and need him to sort of be that guy to, you know, facilitate the offense. Jordan Clarkson score first. And I just worry, is that really what the Bucs need? Or if they look at it and say, all right, we can play Jordan off ball and use him sort of like Javon Carter plus Jordan Clarkson, then maybe I'm a little better with it. 
I think I would just be on it very, I'd be more cautious, I guess, with Clarkson than other guys. I just don't know if Clarkson is a playoff guy. Like, I just don't know if he is a championship player, in my opinion. I think the other guys are that we mentioned. And Kyle Kuzma, I think, is the dream. Uh, but I have no idea if the Wizards, what, what, you never really know with the Wizards. The Wizards are a unpredictable mess. Um, so who knows what Washington could be thinking. Washington, again, could be trying to get into that, you know, playing game potential. But you also have to understand, like, the, the East is going to be hard. So maybe acquiring assets would be something they're interested in. To me, I think Washington, more than the other teams mentioned, would ask for Bochamp. I think the Jazz might ask for Bochamp too. So that would be my one fear with those two teams is that they see where they are this season and they're like, well, we want to pick, you know, we want basically like a pick back. And the Bucks are like, we don't have really picks to give. All right, we'll take Bochamp as sort of the pseudo pick. And that's the deal. I don't think the Nets would actually get, would want Bochamp, but I do think the other teams would. would. And that is a little bit of a fear that maybe a deal at that magnitude wouldn't happen. So we'll see if the Bucks end up doing anything. Um, they're going to make the move. I think the Merrill thing runs out today. So hopefully we have a deal done before Mitch and I podcast, but knowing our luck, a deal will come through very late on uh, Wednesday night. Lastly, just a couple Packer notes that caught my eye that I thought were interesting. A.J. Dillon, uh, they want him to be more involved. They want a little more explosiveness out of A.J. Dillon, uh, said the running backs coach, uh, Ben Sermons. Uh, I forget. I think it's Zach Krause, um, so I don't forget uh, that, who he, who he said it to. Um, I think that's interesting. I think there's going to be a lot more of a 50-50 split between Dillon and Jones. I think both guys are going to have their moments. Uh, I don't think it's going to be something where this is a Jones possession or a Dillon possession. I think they're going to use them interchangeably. I think to me, that's the best way to keep a defense guessing is not necessarily saying, all right, this is just for A.J. Dillon or this is just for Aaron Jones. I think using them, you know, kind of kind of is on and off will really help. I think studying what the Browns have done with Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb, I think would be, you know, your kind of entryway in. To me, that's the six, the model of success with the two running back system. I think they do it better than the Packers, honestly. But I think part of it, too, is predicated on the fact that they don't have a Hall of Fame quarterback. And they still don't. I mean, they, they won't have it this year. Uh, Deshaun Watson, to me, A, is not a Hall of Famer at this point. It, like, take away all the legal shit. But I also don't think Deshaun Watson is going to be playing this year. So that means it's probably going to be Jacoby Brissett or maybe Baker Mayfield if they can somehow grovel and convince Baker Mayfield to come back, which is... If they can't get Baker to come back and it's Brissett, that's an all-time bad move. Like, uh, like unbelievably bad move by the Browns, um, which would shock me because it's the Cleveland Browns. And, you know, even when you're good, you're somehow bad. And until you sort of break through and have multiple years of success, we're still going to look at you as a bad franchise. The Bucs never had the success that they did. And they had one or two good playoff years the Bucs would probably still be tagged as a bad franchise. But because they've had years of success, because they keep winning and they have a now a title under their belt, the Bucs are considered a successful franchise. I'd consider the Brewers a successful franchise because the consistency of winning. Now, granted, they don't have the World Series ring to go with it, but at least there is that consistent winning approach for the Milwaukee Brewers. So at least we have that, you know, in our, you know, 
stratosphere or whatever. But yes, I I don't necessarily I would study that tape. I think you would see you'll see more of that from Dylan. Um, I expect a big year from Dylan. I think he is going to have a very successful year, and I also think Jones is going to be really good as well. I just will be curious to see how they use him. Um, to me, that is one of the number one like storylines heading into week one is the Jones and Dylan combination and what how how are they used? What are the snap counts? Are they used together? I want to see that more. I think if I were to talk to Matt Lafleur, I'd be like, we should use Jones and Dylan, you know, in a shotgun set or even in something like a split back, right? And one's a quote unquote fullback. You don't see split back. Uh, offense that that much anymore. That's a very 80s, 90s, you know, off, but why not, right? Like a quick pitch to Dylan or Jones, I think I'd love that. And you pull one of the guards, like that to me sounds like a great play. That sounds like a play that goes for 10 or 12 yards. Now some of you are like, Charlotte's not mad, and I get that, but I just think there is there's areas of opportunity with Dylan and Jones to be creative, and I really hope Matt LaFleur, you know, gets in his bag, if you will. The other thing that I saw from Schneidman, kind of in a no-shit category, which, uh, look, I'm not trying to rag on Schneidman, but it's pretty obvious that Robert Tanyan isn't going to start the year um, with the Packers. Um, he has ACL tear back in October. I know he's working hard. I know the guy is kind of a physical freak, um, but I'm not expecting Bobby Tanyan to be ready for the start of the season. I think that will cause some Packer fans to freak out, but I would advise you not to. Um, guy had an ACL tear in October. ACL tears take time. Um, I would rather Robert Tunyon be healthy as he could be and then be ready for the playoffs. I do think that Tyler Davis is a guy you need to keep your eye on. Like if I was doing a dynasty league or something like that, I would put Tyler Davis as somebody I would draft very late in your fantasy to just potential because there it's there. Also, too, Josiah DeGuerra. I know he's not been able to stay healthy, but they have Josiah DeGuerra there. They have Mercedes Lewis. Like, they have guys that will be able to, you know, kind of steady the tide if you put Tunyon on the pup list and he misses the first six games of the season. I don't think, to me, I don't think you're missing a lot with Tunyon. I guess the only drawback is you're like, all right, they don't have Devontae Adams and they don't have Robert Tunyon to start the year. How is that going to affect you know, Aaron Rodgers. I think Aaron Rodgers will figure it out. I think I saw something today about... <coughs> Sorry. I saw something yesterday where Rodgers was talking about his confidence in Lazard being the number one receiver. Randall Cobb's leadership role. I think Rodgers is perfectly fine with the guys he has. And I think, obviously, he likes Tunyon. Tunyon's one of his dudes, but I think they can soldier on in the first six games without him. I mean, obviously, would I like him for the Buccaneers game? For sure. Would he be nice for the Patriots game too? Yes. But if you look at the Packers start of their season, assuming the Vikings and Bears are not going to necessarily be true contenders, the really the only one that where Tony would be nice would be the Buccaneers. Uh, that would be the one where you look at it and you're like, yeah, it'd be nice to have Tony for that game. But other than that, the pa- I think the Packers start their season is relatively easy. Um, I think it's there's no reason they can't start five and one in that first six six games. I think the expectation should be four and two at worst. Um, but you know, because you have to factor in something going wrong or something not necessarily working out in their favor. I actually think, and we we can do this on another podcast, which we should. 
is I think getting the Buccaneers um, early in the season is actually going to help uh, the Packers because Todd Bowles, new coach, I understand Tom Brady's going to be running things, but it's not going to, I don't necessarily know if the Bucs will be a well-oiled machine in September. I think by October, they will have everything sort of figured out. Sometimes you've seen Tom Brady teams start slow in the past and really pick up. You know, remember, it was that one team that was like 2-2 two and two to start the year, and then I think they ended up winning the Super Bowl. But yeah, that I think you getting the Buccaneers early is going to help you out. So not going to freak out about Tunyon missing the first six games if that's what it ends up happening. Uh, but we'll see. Uh, we'll see. Maybe, who knows? It's got a long way to go, man. You, you, could, you never know. Maybe recovery works out well and you get you get back to normal and back to full strength and then suddenly you have Robert Tunyon to start the year, which would be great. I would definitely sign up for that. All right, like I said at the start, Tabby the Keg tonight. Mitch and I will talk about if the Bucks got better, Bucks got worse, or Bucks stayed the same. Um, that'll be, I think, our lead topic. Um, we'll certainly, obviously, talk about if the Bucks make a deal. Maybe that will shift topics. I'm sure we'll talk Brewers, um, and also uh, we will we will chat about maybe maybe some other stuff. You know, Wisconsin sports. Who knows what else is going on uh, around around the world? All right, take care of yourself. Have a great Wednesday. And we'll see you tomorrow. Bye.